Welcome to the Pacific Point Church Podcast, where we're learning to love and live like Jesus. During this half hour, we're praying that God will direct, encourage, and speak to you. If you would like to partner with Pacific Point Church and our church plants, you can download the Pacific Point Church app at the App Store or visit us at pacificpointchurch.com give. At that same site, you can also watch and listen to previous sermons, read follow-up blog posts and extended notes, and even connect with Pacific Point Church on social media. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. My pleasure. Wow. You know, this is the first time I've actually spoken in our new building. The last time I did this, we were outside. All right. There were airplanes flying over. And... um, Boy, Eddie, where's the, oh, there he is, man. We were moving tables around, and, uh, you know, God is faithful, isn't he? I mean, look at this building that we're in. Look at, look at how far we've come just in a few months. And uh, you know what? Everybody say, God bless Eddie. Yeah, God bless Eddie. Uh, yeah, yeah, give him a hand. Yes. You know, Chris just said something about faithfulness and Faithfulness really is uh, a, a, a cornerstone that God builds on. And um, the faithfulness of a man resides in his character. And uh, anytime you see someone laying down their life and giving of themselves, what they're essentially doing is they're making a statement and saying that I'm invested in this and I am committed to seeing growth happen, not only in a building, but also in a people. And I uh, just... Sometimes we, we don't tell one another how much we appreciate each other enough. And, uh, you know, Eddie, we honor you and we thank you for everything that you do, you know, for us as a family. So on that note, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time where we can come together as a family. And we thank you for the word of God. Lord, we ask that you would take these words Lord, send them into our hearts. Father, we thank you that your word indeed says that it will not return void, but will accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. And Lord, we ask today that you would change us, Lord, you would help us to grow, that we may be more and more into your image and be imagers of you in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so John Blue is going to be doing a series, starting a series at some point on tithing and giving and talking about money. And what I just felt led to do is to kind of help introduce that topic a little bit. He doesn't know I was going to do it this way, but, you know, he's in Costa Rica. I'm here. So, and I got tenure. You know, that's, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the extending joke that I've got, you know, whenever I say something that people may not agree with. I got tenure. So what we want to do is we want to talk a little bit about treasure. And I want to ask this guiding question is, where is your treasure? And... As, am I working here, Seth? Am I off? Technology, there we go. There we go. I read this article a couple of days ago, and it was entitled, Generation Next the, 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 and the Great Wealth Transfer. And the crux of the article was that in the next 25 years, you're going to see a transfer of wealth, about $36 trillion dollars, as the being passed from one generation to the next, you know, as the baby boomers pass on, they will be giving their, 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 their wealth unto their kids and to, uh, also to the millennials. And this article really got me thinking because it, it, it really 
maybe think about the greatest wealth transfer that we could possibly experience. Now, I got to say that, yes, I keep up with current events. You know, I try uh, in order to be able to talk with my students. And I understand that, you know, our economy as a nation, it's going through a difficult time and things may be even more difficult. I understand that, you know, we may transition over into a digital currency and, and there's talk about more, more and more talk about cryptocurrency and so many different ways that things will evolve. However, that still doesn't take away the, and how I want to say it politely, it still doesn't take away how our culture has been so dead set and bent on pursuing wealth. And it's that pursuit that I want to talk about. And um, managing money is an important factor and an important feat that each and every one of us want to be able to, uh, to, to develop in our lifetime. And if you think about it, in our culture, we have so many different things that are pushing us. I mean, it's even in the media. Um, when I was growing up in the 80s, you know, there was a show called Dallas. Anybody remember that? You know, JR, you know, and, and, and basically it kind of glorified or celebrated the pursuit of wealth. Uh, the media still does that. Nowadays, we don't have Dallas, but we got Yellowstone. Anybody, anybody watching that, that, that series? Yeah, you know you are. You know? And, and really, that one's probably not more about the pursuit of wealth as it is just dealing with the change that wealth brings. And that kind of really brings us to what we want to talk about today. You know, riches, they tend to, to, to foster a sense of security. And that sense of security, it may even be imagined or it actually may be real. And we always have this thought of, if I just make more money, things will be better for me. And the scripture talks about this, 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 this imagination that we have in terms of relating to money. It says in Proverbs 18, 11, it says, a rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his own imagination. And the bottom line on that is that we tend to look at our at, at our wealth and our ability to, to spend money or even to make money as an object, as something that we could put our trust in. And there's actually another word for that that the Bible uses, uh, and that's called a stronghold. Uh, when we had our, our talk with the men over the past few weeks and we were talking about critical thinking, we talked about strongholds and how stronghold, what a stronghold is, is basically a thought or an imagination or I, I have the, de the definition up here, is an idea or belief that is made firm to the point that an individual places their trust in it and they build aspect of their life upon it. And I'm so reminded of the story that Jesus told his, his disciples about the man that listens to him is like the man who builds his house upon a rock. And when the, when the storms come, when the storms of life come, and, they, and the wind and the waves and beat against this, 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 this house or this edifice, it stands. But a person who doesn't listen to the word of God, who doesn't build their life upon that, it's like they're building their life upon sand. And when the storm and the uh, winds come, because that house isn't built on a solid foundation, but on a shifting foundation, it will collapse. And there's nothing wrong with having wealth. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, God, he, 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 he says that, the, the Bible says that the Lord makes rich, and he doesn't add sorrow to it. As a matter of fact, 
says that in Proverbs 10, 22, says the blessing of the Lord. However, what we have to focus on is remember that not everything, riches, it doesn't count for everything, for all the money that we make. It doesn't, that's not the only way that we are made wealthy. Matter of fact, the Bible says in Proverbs 22, 1, a good name is to be more desired than riches and favor more desired than gold or silver. And literally what that's saying is that your name carries weight. It's, it's, it's more important for you to work and live for a good name, to have a good reputation, to be looked, at upon, looked upon as somebody that others can depend upon, that people can put weight upon you and knowing that you're not going to let them down. That's even more important than having a great deal of money. Now, the money helps. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. The money helps. However, there is a difference between true wealth okay, and material riches. There's a big difference. Matter of fact, years ago, I read a book by a brilliant man. His name is Dennis Peacock. And the book was called um, Doing Business God's Way. And in that book, he outlined five principles of what true wealth is. And those five principles, I put them up here. And really what he was saying that, number one, uh, real wealth begins with a biblical perspective on life. If you don't have a biblical perspective or a relationship with God, then you're poor. Having an understanding of who the Lord is, is the most important thing, and that's where real wealth starts off with. And, and by the way, when you're talking about wealth, we're talking about the value of, of, assets that, uh, of assets of worth that a person has. And real wealth starts with knowing the Lord. Another aspect of it is real wealth uh, includes relationships, and that's inclusive of your natural family, and your spiritual family, nurturing these relationships. As Chris said, you know, Ramona and I have known her uh, for 30 years. This is a relationship that could have died, you know, 29 years ago. However, it's been nurtured, especially between Ramona and Chris, and it's just been a beautiful thing to watch over these three decades. It's been nurtured, and it's grown, and it's borne fruit. And that, in a sense, makes us wealthy because we have her and John, yeah, kind of John, yeah, John in our lives. <laughs> I love you, John, wherever you're at, man. All right, thirdly, real wealth includes an understanding of your destiny and your place in God's work and your function and actually doing it. It's one of the most incredible things, one of the most inspiring things in this world to know why you are here. For you to get up in the morning and to have an understanding of what your purpose in this life is. And especially when that has been connected with your relationship with God and you can draw that parallel. Boy, you can, there are times I get up and I know I'm supposed to be teaching, I'm supposed to be uh, coaching football, I'm supposed to be training faculty, and there's like nothing can stop me because I know God has called me to do this. That makes me feel very wealthy. Fourthly, real wealth. Real wealth includes good health, which means you have time to fulfill your destiny. Knowing your destiny is great, but if you do not have time 
because of health issues or whatnot, and you know your time may be limited, then you may feel bankrupt. It's nothing like knowing that what you're supposed to do in life, but you don't actually have the time to actually go and do it and accomplish that. There is a sinking feeling that a person can feel in that, in that point. And lastly, real wealth includes material contentment. We need possessions, right? But we need possessions in order to carry out our calling in life. It doesn't matter if it's just having some food or having a roof over your head to, get your, to, 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 to accomplish the destiny that God has for you. That's great. Some people, that's all they need. Other people, they need millions of dollars because what God has put on their heart to do requires millions of dollars. So the bottom line being is we need money in order to fulfill our destiny and our calling in lives. But that money should not become the idol and the thing that we pursue as, a, as an aspect of, of our entire lives. So I believe that it's really healthy in life to take inventory every now and then. I love what John and Chris do. They, every six months, they, uh, they go away and take inventory. What, what was life like or what, what has happened in the past six months? And then where are we going in the next six months? That's a good time. That's a good thing to do. And we should do that as individuals on a regular basis. And questions that we ought to ask ourselves are right here. What do I value in life? Okay. Where is my treasure? What are, the, what are the wealth? What's the wealth that God has deposited inside of me? How am I spending this wealth? Is my time being spent pursuing more and more wealth, and why? Because these things are the things, these questions are the ones that help put a map, that, that become a roadmap for us in life. Now, in the Gospels, Jesus talks a great deal about material wealth and riches. And um, these are just a few of the scriptures right here. In Mark, 4, in Mark 4, 19, he talks about the deceitfulness of riches. In Luke 12, 16, he talks about the parable of the rich fool, the individual who built up his barns and was collecting things and, and, and turned around and said, okay, I, I, need, to, I need to build more barns to, to house more stuff. But then the Lord says to him, you fool, tonight you're going to die. Who's going to, what's going to happen with all the riches that you spent your entire life trying to collect? In Luke 16, he talks about the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And also in Matthew 19, the uh, rich young ruler. And we will focus a little bit more on that this morning. But riches and wealth, they are a, 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 a staple in the gospel in terms of the things that Jesus wants us to have an understanding of. Why? Simply because they are things that, because we are in this world, we are bound and we can fall into the habit of pursuing those. So one scripture I do want to focus on this morning is in Matthew 6, 19. It says, do not store up for yourselves treasure on heaven, in, in, tre treasures in earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where neither thief does not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what's a treasure? 
And that's the first thing that pops in my head. What, 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 what is it that, that defines a treasure? Well, treasure, simply put, here we go. I am just all over the time. But here we go. I got it. I got it. You know, it's kind of like shooting at a duck or something, you know. So a treasure, simply put, is something that your heart is set upon. Again, it doesn't necessarily have to be money or finances. All right? It's something that your soul will have. And it's, it's a deposit. It's something that you, you, you highly value. It's like my wife is my treasure. I value her, and it, you know, I'm grateful for God depositing her in my life. Now, it's important to realize that as we consider whatever our treasures may be, because I think we have treasures on multiple levels, Jesus doesn't deprive us of a treasure. However, what he does is he directs us in our choice of the treasure. And there are two categories of a treasure. One can be earthly, okay, which would be things that are temporal. Okay, we all know if something's temporal, it is what? Temporary, right? It's not going to be here forever. However, the other category is earthly wealth. If something, excuse me, is heavenly wealth. If something is heavenly, that it means it's eternal. That means it's not necessarily corporeal. It is spiritual in nature. So therefore, what we want to do is look at how I can build up heavenly wealth as, as opposed to earthly wealth. Again, there's nothing wrong with earthly wealth. It only becomes a problem when we set our heart upon it and we begin to build our treasure solely upon something that is temporary in nature. Now, the, the, one of the things that Jesus says, he gives us warnings about these, these earthly wealth, the earthly wealth, and that is they can get corrupted from within, which means that they are subject to, they're, they're, they're subject to loss. So if you put your, health, your, 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 your focus on something that is strictly earthly, then what you can possibly happen is it's kind of like building your your house on the sand is something that's going to be moving and something's going to shift and it can fall and then you will suffer loss yourself and then also the thing about earthly wealth is it's subject to violence from without where thieves can come in and break and take take whatever you have stored have stored up i mean you think about it it's not even physical anymore i mean you can have wealth but it can be in a digital format or a digital currency. How many of you know that's not safe either? How many of you know that if someone unplugs the right server or hits the wrong button, all of your wealth is, can be gone, just like that. And obviously they're talking about uh, going to a digital currency. Well, that scares me if I don't know about you, but that kind of concerns me because being an, an educational technology individual, Again, I know, all right, all somebody has to do is find the right plug. <laughs> and, you know, there goes my retirement. We don't put our faith and our hope in that. No. We put our hope and our faith in Jesus. He's going to be the one who provides for us. Our goal, therefore, should be to make deposits in our heavenly account. And to think about the things 
that are, if you think about things that are heavenly in nature, you want to think about things that transfer over into God's kingdom. And, now, and there are about four, th- four different things that actually transfer over. In other words, that, that you can take from earth to heaven, you know, from this realm that we're in into God's kingdom. And those four things are this right here. Your character transfers over. Who you are, the essence of you, who you are, transfers over. Your words will transfer over. Your relationships, the people that you know, the spiritual family that you have transfers over. The experiences that you have, that you've, that you've gone through, your memories, these will transfer over. How do I know all of this? Well, simply because the Bible teaches that every man will give an account for what he has done in this life. So therefore, all these things, your character, your words, the relationships, your experiences, there will be a time where you will speak with the Lord about these things. So we know they transfer over. Your heavenly treasure is deposited, or you can make investments or deposits into your heavenly bank account by doing these things right here through your giving, through your prayers, through your fasting. And all of these things, what they have in common is they are sacrifices one way or another. When you look at yourself and you say, I am not going to pursue my life. My life is not my own. How can I invest in other people? How can I invest in the kingdom of God? Then you're thinking in terms of making deposits in your heavenly account. We do it, but we don't even, we're not conscious. We're not aware of it. Why? Because we're in this world and we're constantly inundated with the things of this world. And we're constantly focused on, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing, it's just how we have it. We're constantly focused on the things that we have to do to survive here. But we don't want to leave our minds there. We want to say, I, 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 I want to have at least one, what was the old saying that I heard a pastor say? You want to have one eye, you know, on what's going on on earth, but another eye on where you're going to go in heaven. Okay. and have a proper perspective of your life. All right. Jesus gives us another scripture, or he gives us another, um, there's a, well, I should say the Gospels give us another um, encounter that Jesus had with a young man who came to him, and a lot of it focused around his, richer, his, his riches. And matter of fact, it's a story that's given to us in three of the four Gospels. And what I'd like to do is share this scripture with you about this encounter here. So it's in Matthew 19. It says, And someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may, may obtain inter- eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you want to enter in life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and you shall shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these things I have kept, but what am I still lacking? And Jesus said to him, if you want to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, 
for he was one who owned much property. And I came across this portrait on the internet, and I was like, this is a great portrait. It's, it's of Jesus in the background and the young man in the foreground. And I love the expression on the young man's face. As a matter of fact, the first thing I thought about when I saw it were my students. So at the beginning of the semester, what I generally tell them, I've given them an orientation in my class, I say, look, you have a choice. You can either, if you want good grades, you can have sleep, or you can have a social life. Pick two. You can't do all three. And by the third week, this is how they look right here. It's kind of like, oh, gosh. Because you can't have good grades and have a, and have a social life and sleep. So you're going to sacrifice something. You can't, you know, if you're going to sleep and then if you're going to have a social life, well, you're not going to have good grades. So the, 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 the irony I get here is they have to make this choice and make this decision. And that's exactly what this young man was faced with right here. He's got to make this choice. So let's talk about this young man. Um, the, one of the Gospels tells us that he's young. That's how we know that he's young. And so the word used for, for, for young in that, in that scripture indicates he's probably in his 20s. Okay? We know he's rich and, and he's a ruler. And scripturally, the words that are used to describe that would be someone who may be a member of the Sanhedrin or someone who had a position of authority in a synagogue. Now, I would imagine, since he, since he is young, he may have inherited some of this money, or you know, maybe he was just a you know, guy who knew how to, how, to, how to work hard. But the point is that he brings certain things to the table. He's already got this wealth. He's already been established as an individual who has possessions. Now, in verse 16, he comes up to, up to Jesus and he says, good, what, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? Two points here. Number one, he felt something was missing spiritually. Otherwise, he would not run up to Jesus and ask this question. He felt that there, he, wasn't, he didn't quite wasn't quite making it, and if he were to, to, to die at that point, he would not inherit eternal life. It wasn't something that was solidified in his spirit. Number two, he believes that getting eternal life, he needs to do something. You know, do something, right? If we we kind of see it in, in, the, in terms of like the social gospel. You know, you have to do something, and then God will accept you, which is completely the wrong thing. It's not about what you do. There's no amount of works that you can do in order to be justified by, by, in God's eyes. There's nothing. And a person can't really truly come to God and be, become a Christian until we realize that there's nothing I can do. It takes complete surrender. Now, the nature of this young man's question was religious and not relational. Everybody understand what I say by that? I'm saying the, 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 the nature was, hey, look, what are the works? Tell me what I got to do so I can obtain it, as if eternal life was a possession to be had. 
I love Jesus' response. He says to him, why are you asking me about what is good? There's only one who's good. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Amazing. Jesus used the word enter into life, but the young man, his, his term was, how can I obtain it? Entering in deals with how you walk. It is what you do. All right. It is, it is the essence of who you are. Obtaining something means, hey, it's a possession. I'm going to grab it. Something I'm going to take. I could think of another line from that old Dallas series, but I ain't going to use it. <laughs> no, I'll use it. I'll use it. J.R., you know, Bobby, Bobby Ewing, if you guys don't know, he's one of the characters. You know, he had this, the, the patriarch, his name was Jock, and uh, he owned this oil company, and he had given responsibility to his son, Bobby, and, and also to J.R., and Bobby came in and said, hey, look, Dad, you know, you gave me the power, you know, to, to make decisions on Ewing oil, and Jock looks at him and he says, Real power is not something that someone gives you. Real power is something that you take. And that is part of the mindset that I kind of get from this guy. You know, he's, hey, I, I'm going to take this. What, do, what can I do to take this? But anyway, you see what I spend my time doing, right? <laughs> John Blue surfs. You know, I sit and I watch old movies and stuff like that. So at any rate, this guy felt that he was missing something. And... His questions, Jesus responds to him by saying, hey, keep the commandments. And he says, which ones? And that response right there tells me something else about the young man. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm theorizing. Number one, he's saying, which one? Um, that, 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 that presupposes that he may have in his mind that he can pick and choose. That, that some of the commandments were more important than the other ones. And we... Again, if I were to draw a parallel in our society, we tend to think that. I know I used to think that. Like, okay, well, this commandment is fine, uh, but I don't have to do this one. Okay. No, 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 no. And it's part of what the lesson that Jesus was teaching him. says, no, if, you, or if you're going to justify yourself by keeping the law, well, then you've got to keep them all, which is impossible. Many of us have kept them all. Yeah. <laughs> Chris is laughing. <laughs> So what does Jesus point out here? He says, you shall not murder, okay? And that is concerning your own and your neighbor's life, okay? He says, you shall not commit adultery, and basically dealing with that which concerns our own and our neighbor's chastity, okay, faithfulness. He says, you shall not steal, basically the things that are concerning uh, your own and your neighbor's wealth and outward estate, Notice how all these things are bringing in not just your own, but also dealing with what belongs to other people as well. It's not just about me. It's about we. Oh, that rhyme. I like that. All right. And then you had the last or the next one. You shall not bear false witness. Basically, that which is concerning your own and your neighbor's good name. And then finally, honoring your father and your mother. Anything that's dealing with specific familial relationships of your parents, with your parents, living to make them look good. So all these things, what, what, what the, what's, what's special about them is they're part of the Decalogue, right, the Ten Commandments, and there's a specific reason why Jesus pointed these out. 
because the first, this is what you call the second table of the Decalogue, okay? Um, and in the Ten Commandments, you have the first uh, several commandments, they deal with the vertical relationship. Man dealing with God. Okay, you should not have any idol. You should not, I'm the Lord your God. Uh, and, and essentially, you're dealing with that. But the second one, which is what Jesus give, has given him, is the ones that we call the commandments related to one another, the horizontal, okay, the horizontal plane. Now, why these specific commandments? Well, I believe Jesus was actually going for a very specific effect here. Number one, the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, they either neglected the second table or they corrupted it by what, the way that they preached it. In other words, Jesus was always rebuking them. Matter of fact, I have one of those rebukes right here, Matthew 23, 23. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You pay tithes of mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier things of the law. Basically, judgment and mercy and fidelity. But these you should have done without neglecting the others. The ones that I have highlighted, the judgment, the mercy, the fidelity, those are all the ones that deal with people. Dealing with people, dealing with their lives, uh, uh, navigating the relationships. In essence, what the Pharisees were doing, they would focus on the, their, their preaching would focus on the ritual, but it would be lacking on the moral. In essence, the first table of the commandments, they display the essence of our religion. In other words, the first few commandments that deal with God. This is the essence. This is what we should do. Yes. But the second table of all the ones dealing with people, that displays the evidence. Okay. So... Your, the evidence of what you are, of being a Christian, of being a person of God, is displayed with how you deal with people, how you deal with individuals. It reveals where your treasure is. So the young man then looks at this and he says, hey, all these things I've kept really kept since my youth, what am I lacking? And Jesus said to him, if you want to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor. And you will have treasures in heaven and then come and follow me. Now the word complete there, some translations render it as perfect. And it's coming from the Greek word that I have right there, teleos, and what it literally means is mature. It's lacking nothing. Doesn't mean error-free, okay? Because when we talk about man and perfection, you can't really, you know, you can't draw, you can't use, it's hard to use it in the same sentence. Perfect man, hmm, I don't know about that. But when you're talking about God's perfection, it's absolute. He is lacking nothing. He is complete. But with man, perfection is relative. In other words, when a man, when Jesus is commanding this man or telling him, hey, you need to become complete, what he is saying, you need to, have it right here, come on. I'm out of juice. So basically what he is saying is what you need to do is you need to find out what God is asking you to do at this time and then do it, 
Okay. Oh, there it is. So if you want to obtain the goal that God has set for you right now, basically what you're wanting is eternal life, then you have to submit on God's terms, which are, hey, sell your possessions and give the money to the poor. And then after you do that, you'll be storing up your treasures in heaven. There we go. So, but when the young man heard this statement, he was grieved, okay? And then he walked away. So, which amazes me because his problem was revealed. And what his problem was, it wasn't that he had possessions. The problem was that the possessions had him. And because the possessions had him, he was not willing to give up what he had, what he valued and what he treasured the most. And because of that, it drove a wedge between him and God, or basically him and the destiny that God had for him. Jesus' prescription for that problem was a transfer of wealth. Now, obviously, to us, that's a bad connotation, right? Transferring wealth, <laughs> wealth redistribution, all those things. We don't think too kindly on that, you know, and rightly so. However, when it comes to our relationship with God, there has to be a transfer of wealth. When you move from one kingdom to another, it's important to realize that in order to properly move and to properly grow in God's kingdom, we have to understand that giving is a large portion of that. Giving of who we are and giving of what we have. And this young man was learning the lesson in a difficult way. So when he heard the statement, he walks away because he, has a lot of, he had a lot of wealth. And then Jesus' response to that was, he let him go. Let him go. He didn't chase him down. Didn't say, hey, look, are you want to change your mind? Okay, you can barely see it in, 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 the, in the water, in the um, washed out picture back there. But Jesus is kind of like looking. You sure you want to do this? Just go. And the point being that the lesson was earthly wealth does several things to us. And number one, it fosters a sense, a false sense of independence. Okay? We can look at earthly wealth and begin to think that, oh, I, I don't need any help because I've got a lot of money. I've got wealth. I've, I've got this. I've got a barrier between me and the rest of the world. I don't have to worry about it. I, I may not even need to have faith in God. You may not say that because there have been times where I haven't said that. But what were my actions? Did I pray and ask God, Lord, be my provider. No, I was thinking, no, I've got the money. I'm going to pay this off. I'm going to do it. Without even thinking that, should I bring this before the Lord first? Another thing that earthly wealth does, another influence that it has on us, is that it binds us to the things of this earth. I've said it many times before. If the enemy can get you emotionally and physically bound to something, some cause, some group or something like that that's attached and that's driven by, the, by, by, by this world system, that means he's got you too. 
Because if you're attached to some cause, again, social justice, if that's your cause, well then whatever, wherever that is leading, you're going to go to. You're bound to it. And wealth and riches tend to do that to us. It's just human nature. Lastly, earthly wealth tends to make us selfish. No matter how much we have, I'm guilty on that. No matter how much I have, I'm like, oh, I need some more. You know, I, I kind of experience it as a professor, it's like uh, teaching classes, you know, because the more classes I teach, the more money I'll get, you know, at, at one of the universities I work at. And so they'll be like, Melvin, do you want to teach another class? I'm like, yeah, give it to me. You know, Melvin, you want to do this? Yeah, give it to me. You know, and, 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 it's, and, and, and looking at it, it was kind of a form of greed because the Holy Spirit dealt with me. He dealt with me because I was just taking up all these classes. And yeah, I could, you know, I, I knew how to manage my time and how to, um, how, to, how to, to, to navigate and teach all the online classes. But the Holy Spirit stopped me. He said, why are you doing this? Because in the past, I would have to do it because my wife was at home and uh, we just needed the extra income. But, you know, that's not the case anymore. Kids are grown. And I still find myself grabbing at these classes and, and just collecting them. I don't really need them. And the Holy Spirit is like, why are you doing this? I'm like, um... Uh, uh, you know, he's like, do you need the money? I'm like, not really. He's like, well, why don't you let another adjunct have the class? Bless them. I'm like, yeah, you're right. And, and again, Jesus warns us, be on the lookout for every form of greed. That was a form of greed. And it was a challenge that I had to overcome. Anyway, you know, as the man walks away, I'm, it, it, it reminded me of something that John talked about last week. Guys, if you, if you were here, John had this slide up. I, I've got a slide up here. And how he was talking about the process that Peter went through. Hopelessness, then hope, and wholeness, and then basically going, the rest of the story. And the hopelessness aspect where you had Peter, he had denied Jesus then he came into hope because Jesus gave him, showed him grace, and Peter received that grace. Then Jesus made him whole, and then Peter was able to go and to preach the gospel. Well, with this young man, he goes through a similar process as each one of us do in various aspects of our lives, right? The young man, he came to Jesus. Well, first of all, he heard about Jesus, he knew he was missing something, and he had hope that Jesus would be able to give him the answer to that. So he gets to Jesus, and he's being dealt with in terms of this hopelessness. But and, and, and Jesus, and he tells Jesus, "Hey, I, you know, all these things I've, 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 all these commandments I've kept in my youth. How, what else do I need to do?" But it breaks down for him where he comes to wholeness. The young man wasn't able to be made whole because he had, his things had a grip on him and he wouldn't let him go, right? It was this transfer of wealth that he had to go through. He had to go through that process and to let go of the earthly things and his focus upon his possessions. So I ask you today, just like I have to ask myself every day, where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? Because unless we get to the point where 
Where's that slide at? Come back. Unless we can get to the point where we can allow God to make us whole, then we can never really go. Go is the goal. Our goal should not be to accumulate things so I can have a storehouse. We become the rich fool at that point. Our goal should be to go. Destiny. That's not something we preach enough, preach on enough in, in, in the church today. I remember being in the ministry, we always preached about destiny, destiny, destiny. Looking forward to what God has for you. Looking forward to, 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 the, to the times where God would be using you. And what that did, Chris will tell you this, my wife Ramona will tell you this, it instilled a sense of discipline inside of you or inside of us. If I want to go and be able to accomplish that, I need to be disciplined. I need to order my life. I need to be in the word. I need to pray. I need to be around other people who of like mind, other Christians, so that I can be built up so that any deficiency that I have, God can backfill that through the other people in the church. Are you guys following me this morning? All right. So let's go back to the young man. I'm almost done, by the way. That's what I tell my students. Yeah, I'm almost done. <laughs> what happened to the young man? Well, there's two possibilities. You, gotta, you can't, can't forget, these are real people. They actually had destinies, things happen to them. Right? Number one, his riches were taken away. That's hypothetically speaking. Let's say that he continued to be blindly focused on his wealth and his possessions. And he just kept them. And he walked away from Jesus and never came back. So what would have happened to him? He was a young man in his 20s. All right? The year is 33 AD at this point. Well, Jesus in Luke 21 foretells something, that Jerusalem would be destroyed. And his disciples were like, oh, uh, Rabbi, look at the, the temple. And they were admiring the beauty of the temple. And Jesus says, the day is coming where this will be torn down brick by brick. And if this young man, chances are he lived through that because he was young enough to get to that point. And the, 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 the problem is that if he was there to see that, then that meant he saw the end of his world, the economic system that he had his trust in, right? The, 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 the uh, religious ceremonial system, all of that was destroyed. So therefore, his riches were taken away by the Roman general, Titus Vespasian. Well, let's say if uh, he did something else, all right? Let's say that he repented instead, that he heard the words that Jesus spoke and he took those words to heart. And instead of... Um, grasping on and holding on to those things, what he would have done was giving them away. Matter of fact, let me read this one scripture to you. I don't have it up there. But I thought I'd just read it to you anyway. And it's describing what the people were doing in the early church. Acts chapter 2, 43. He says, And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. 
And all those who had believed were together and, all had, and had all things in common. And they began selling their properties and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone who might have need. And day by day, continuing in one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. I like to believe that that young man was one of those people. I like to believe that the Spirit of the Lord didn't leave him, that that picture that we have of him doing this is not so much him like, dang, I got to give up my possessions. It was more the conviction of the Holy Spirit working on him because I know I look that way too. When God is doing something in my heart, I'm like, oh, gosh, I know you want me to do this, but I don't want to do it. I'm wrestling with my flesh. I like to believe he said, God, I'm going to do it your way and walk with you. So um, our music guys, you guys want to come back up, you know, because we're going to sing one more worship song. You know, this great transfer of wealth, you know, that I'm talking about, <clears throat> you know, it, it's not so much from our pocketbook to God, but it's more of our heart to the Lord. Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And as we walk with the Lord, as we all grow and mature, it's a process that each and every one of us have to go through. Um, we don't have to turn sorrowfully away from the Lord like the young man did. But we can always ask ourselves questions. And I have a few questions up here that we always just want to have playing in our mind. What's most important to me in my life? Okay. Again, what, what, am I trying to go to heaven? Am, am I just trying to be a good person to get to heaven? Because there's more to it. You know, as I put up earlier, there's the, the, the wealth, the, the true wealth is found in one another. It's found in what God has deposited inside of each one of us. You know, are we putting ourselves in a position where we can really gain from one another and also give to one another? And also, do I see following Jesus as a privilege or is it a sacrifice? It's a privilege to follow the Lord. It's not a sacrifice. And that's something we always have to ask ourselves. As, as a young man, at first he was looking at it like, okay, I, I, I have to sacrifice what's important to me in order to have a relationship with God. I hope he repented from that. I don't know if he did, but I know I can. Amen? So as we leave today... You know, I want us to, to think about some practical things that we can do. And some practical things that we could do, this is my last slide, I promise. Practical things that we can do, number one, is pick up a cross this week. You know, what do I mean by that? Jesus said that if anyone wants to follow him, they have to pick up their cross, deny themselves, and follow him. Find a way to die to self. Ask the Lord, the Lord, how do you need me to die to myself this week? What is something that I don't want to do? 
what would you have me do? How do I sacrifice my attitude? How do I sacrifice my agenda? You know, a good friend of mine who's a pastor, he told me about um, this guitar that he had. You know, he, he had learned to play guitar, and it's a really expensive guitar. It's really nice, and he would love to play it. And he would play this thing every day. And he said, one day, the Holy Spirit told him, say, take that guitar and give it away. And he was like, this is my prized possession. You know, why would I want to do that? And then as he was asking himself that, that question right there, he began to realize, like, oh, I need to give away this thing because of what it means to me. And every now and then, I'm not telling you to go out and give stuff away right now. Well, maybe I am. <laughs> but what I'm, 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 I'm encouraging you to take inventory in your life, just like I said earlier, what are the important things? And if there is something that's real, real important, ask the Lord, is this something that I've esteemed above my relationship with you? Is this something that I need to give away? If he says yes, give it away. If he says no, keep it, enjoy it. There's, there's nothing wrong with having possessions. Again, you just want to make sure that your possessions do not have you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Your Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the lessons that you speak to us through the parables and through the encounters that you had and how you are helping us to see how we need to make deposits in our heavenly bank account. Lord, give us eyes that we may be able to see that, Lord. Father, help us and give us the revelation if we need to repent, Lord. And, and indeed we do. I know I do, Father. We repent for esteeming our earthly treasures above our heavenly treasures, and those heavenly treasures would be the people around us. Lord, in Revelations 3.17, you issued a warning to your people, the church of Laodicea, and you said, I am rich, and you say, I am rich and affluent and have need of nothing, and yet do not realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And Father, that's us. Lord, many times we say that we're rich, we have it all, we've got what we need, but in reality, we're naked and wretched, poor and naked, Lord. Father, help us to see where that is in effect in our lives. Help us to repent. Help us to come to you with a humble heart, knowing that everything that you have for us far outweighs, far outshines, whatever we can have on this earth. Lord, also help us to open our eyes to the human needs around us, the needs of our brothers, the needs of our sisters, the needs of our communities. Help us to be the answer, to be the hands and feet of your church in our area in Jesus' name. Amen.